0: Christopher Reeves said, a hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. John Quincy Adams said, patience and perseverance have a magical effect before which difficulties disappear and obstacles vanish. Welcome to this episode. We have the legendary Olympian, Greg Louganis, on the show who is one of the most decorated Olympic divers of all time, arguably one of the greatest divers of all time, LGBT activist, humanitarian, author, and designer who has won gold medals at the 1984 and 88 Summer Olympics on both the springboard and platform. He is the only male and the second diver in Olympic history to sweep the diving events in consecutive Olympic Games. And in this interview... We talk about his historical Olympic run and what it took to be a champion and the mindset of a champion. We talk about how Greg felt winning was needed in order to feel loved or being worth of love. Powerful insights there. We talked about how he handled having HIV when at the time it seemed like a death sentence. Also the power of sharing your weakness to reveal your strength. This is a powerful episode. Make sure to share it with your friends. lewishouse.com slash 767. Tag myself at LewisHowes And tag Greg on Instagram as well to let us know what you enjoyed about this the most. Big thank you again to our sponsors today, and I'm so excited about this one. Again, make sure to share with your friends. Let me know what you think over on Instagram. Take a screenshot of this podcast right now. Post it over there so we can connect. And without further ado, let's dive into this with the one and the only Greg Louganis. Welcome, everyone, back to the School of Greatness podcast. We have a living legend in the house, Greg Louganis, Thank you so much for being here, I appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, You're one of the icons in the Olympics, greatest diver of all time, and you just had an incredible life story. Beyond, you know, being an Olympian, multiple gold medal winner, uh, I'm still sad that you didn't compete in, what was it, the 1980 Olympics? Wasn't that Yeah,
1: yeah. Boycott was 1980, that was the Moscow Olympics.
0: So you were 16 when you did the first Olympics in 76. Yeah and you were just like taking over the world by storm. You got a silver medal then I think, is that right?
1: I got a silver medal there. 16 years then old. I, then I was world champion two years, two later. years later.
0: And you should have won yeah. like two medals in the
1: eight. What was that like during that time where, did you want to boycott or was it no. just like no. you just I, had to? Well, what happened, I mean, because I was one of the team captains oh. for the diving team, and so the team captains all from all the different sports got together. And we were kind of addressing this because wow. we were in D.C. and we were going to have a chance to talk to um, President Carter and, and all that. So it was our feeling that we had such a strong team in 1980 and swimming and so many other sports. So we wanted to go send one person into the opening and closing ceremonies and everybody stay back in protest, but go over there and kick ass, basically. So that was what we wanted, but our voices were never heard mm. because as soon as um, President Carter made his address, then the media was escorted out, and then we were able to give our views and, and um, let our voices be heard. Unfortunately, our voices weren't heard, mm. um, but you live and learn. It, I kind of think back on it, too, is that in some ways it might have been a blessing for me. Really? Why? Why? Because in 1980, diving was something I was good at. It wasn't something I was necessarily enjoying. Why weren't you? Mean, enjoy I was, it? well because I was in theater. <clears throat> I was looking forward to pursuing my acting and getting going on that, whether it be New York or you know, because most of it was theater. So to a dance New major, York. theater and dance major, right in college? Yeah. 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 So this was your college years, actually. Yeah.
0: 16, yeah. and then yeah, so you'd be 20, 21.
1: Yeah, I was 20. Interesting. And so. Had they happened, had I been successful, I probably would have gone on. Wow. You know, and who knows? I mean who who yeah, really knows? Who knows? We you never know.
0: Wow! Well, I just feel so bad for all the the, the people that have their one chance. Yeah. It, they
1: train for 10 years, 20 years for one yeah, moment. Yeah. I mean the way that I like to explain it to people is when you think of an elite athlete, it's like a carton of milk. They have an expiration date. Yeah. You know? And it's like, if you go past that expiration date, you're out of luck. I mean, you you missed that opportunity. And there were so many talented athletes that missed that opportunity. That didn't make it the next in four years yeah. later, right? Yeah, So You were lucky to make it the next two
0: Olympics. Yeah. Some people didn't make it at all, though, right? Right. Was yeah. there anyone else that you knew from the 1980 time that did come back and had a successful experience and were
1: like, Got their redemption type of um, moment. I, I probably would, I'm not sure, because he was, I think he was just coming up Rowdy Gaines. Gotcha. Um, I think uh, Nancy Hogshead, there were a few mm-hmm. individuals that kind of were able to hang in there and stick it out. Uh, but it also depended on the sport, too. Because, mm. uh, yeah. I mean, if you're a gymnast... That, you that, have that
0: like a one-year, two two-year window. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, on, on the women's side, they're, you know, the young ladies, are they're, mm-hmm. they're young. That's devastating. That's going to be so hard, and
0: that's your whole life's mission. And yeah. then you just get kind of robbed of it. Yeah. What was the greatest lesson you learned about yourself during that time?
1: Um, greatest lesson... At that time, yeah, eighty yeah, in, what, eight, 80s, in the eighties, when you
0: when you got a taste of the Olympics, uh-huh. you get silver, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna win the yeah. gold next time, and then oh, I have to wait eight eight years. more years.
1: Yeah, that, you know that that was really really tough. I mean, oh that that was that was a hard pill to swallow. I wasn't sure if I if I was really gonna be able to keep motivated, stay training, right? Yeah, because well, I I had started diving with my coach Ron O'Brien. That's who I the from 78 to 88 he was my coach. And the one thing that he was incredible at is really keeping me motivated. Hmm. I mean we he devised games. I mean we played games. And it's like anything you get good at what you practice. Mm-hmm. And so one of the games that we used to play was the 700 game on 10 meter platform. And I didn't like to do repeats of my dives so if i could get out with just doing one a piece then i was golden so in order to break 700 on 10 meter platform i had to do all 10 dives in the eight and a half range and you know i had to average eight and a half scoring eight and halves on all 10 dives but the average so who was uh, the judge he, was the, he judge. was the judge. Josh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it was interesting because sometimes I was successful, sometimes I wasn't. Mm. And one time, at one practice, it was gale force winds blowing into the platform and it was raining and all that. And he said, okay, we're going to play the 700 game. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, so I get all warmed up and ready to go and I start going. And uh, I got through. I was jumping back and forth over that eight and a half line and I was like really, really close and came in the last dive and got it. I was like, oh, great. Awesome. You know, I was successful. So packed my bag, left, showed up the pool the next day. My coach pulls me aside. Ron says, you know, you're the only one who got in the pool yesterday. Wow. And I was like, wow. You know, because... You have to put yourself in diverse situations in order to be able to practice at a very high level so that you're prepared. So I always, what a lot of athletes, a lot of divers would look at as obstacles. I looked at it as opportunities. Mm. You know, that was an opportunity to train in miserable weather. How successful can I be? It's not about perfection. Yeah, perfection's unobtainable, but how close can you get to that mark of of perfection? Right. Except the time you got all perfect tens, right? (laughs) I (laughs) did that that a few times, but yeah, you know. But even you could always get better. You could always yeah. Even still, I you know, I'd always say that we can come back to the pool five. Five minutes, five weeks, five months later, and the scores will change. Yeah, it's, true. You know? it's true. It's all based on like what people are feeling that moment right. and what right. they saw
0: and yeah. their perspective. Because a 10 is
1: really emotional. I've judged before, and it's like, you know, in, in order to you have to be touched emotionally moved. by the moved by the by the performance.
0: Not just the technicality to. of right. it. That's like yeah. nine point eight. If it's a perfect technically yeah. 9.7 9.8 yeah but it's when you see the emotion probably of the diver, yeah. right yeah or the yeah. moments and the
1: the yeah. i mean i think there's them. some people who would argue about that but you know yeah. i i think it really is i mean the you know your tens are kind of more on the emotional side of, yeah you know wow that was awesome gotta be right yeah
0: wow it's yeah. amazing how would you approach your dives at the olympics versus at practice would you set up and prepare like it was an Olympics or a World oh, Championship yeah, yeah, yeah. every single time yeah. you stepped on the platform?
1: Not every single time. Not every single time, because there's different cycles of training. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're just get, trying to get the numbers in, the trying reps, to get yeah. the yeah, get the muscle memory of doing the dive, of the execution of the dive. There are other times where the focus is on on the performance. You are. Incredibly focused. That was one thing that my one of my earlier coaches, Dr. Sammy Lee, he taught me in preparation for seven, my first Olympics in '76. He would always set up this situation: okay, Klaus Dibiasi is beating you by 12 points. Mm-hmm. You need eight halves, nines on this, and it was like okay. You know, so I'd get all you know ready to go. And sometimes I was successful, sometimes I wasn't. But putting myself in that frame of mind, that mental state. Allowed me to practice and rehearse so that when I showed up, that was the first Olympics that I had ever been to. Crazy! At 16. I mean, and that was that was a for, <clears throat> first world stage event. Really? That I had ever been to. Going to do a world championship in, in, in the, in the senior, on the senior level. Sure, sure. On the, I did as an age group diver. Right, but, right. You know, this was like the biggest stage, I and mean, it's the Olympic Games. Wow! But I was groomed. I was prepared for it. Wow. So and you got the silver. Yeah, I got Were the silver. Were you close to getting a gold? Yeah. Actually, the oh. one of the judges, R.J. Smith, he was a judge for that Olympic Games, and he came to me, and I missed my ninth dive. That's basically what happened. And uh, he came over, and he thanked me for my ninth dive because he said, if you didn't miss that ninth dive, then we, pro- we would have had to protest the scores. You know, Because wow. it was... You know, it's political. Is this, yeah? Yeah. You you know, you have politics in there. I think diving is probably one of the more objective, subjective sports, but it's still a subjective sport, yeah. Like Like
0: gymnastics, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, and this is what I tell the athletes that I work with in mentoring them is that even in prelims, it's your responsibility to. Educate the judges, to show the judges that you're worthy. You're worthy of getting the eights, nines, tens. How do you show them you're worthy? Is it By the, your performance. Your performance. Is it the it's energy? Is it
0: how you approach it's, as well? Or is it just only on results?
1: It's, it's results-based. Yeah. Because you all the good wishes in the world aren't going to make things happen. Yeah. So... But is there like an
0: an energy that when a diver, you know, if they miss and they put their head down or they're angry, does that make them less desirable of getting good scores? Is it
1: kind of how you show up with your poise and your energy or is that... I think that's a, a part of it most definitely because no matter what a judge says, as soon as you walk out on the board and the focus is on you... You're yeah, being judged. Absolutely, so, everything. Yeah, the way you walk, the way you right. hold yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: And so, when you were there, when you were 16, what was that first dive like? First world well, stage
1: at the Olympics. The interesting thing was I won the Olympic trials wow. in both three-meter springboard and 10-meter platform. Wow. Basically, what I believe happened was the top divers, they put pressure on themselves. Mm-hmm. When, you, you know, when you show up to an event, I mean, there is an energy. Now, if you interpret that energy as pressure, then you're more apt to implode. But if you interpret that energy as inspiration, that is what motivates you, drives you to be better than you ever dreamed you could be. So if you tap into that inspiration, then you're gonna see a lot more success.
0: How did you learn how to tap into that inspiration or love feeling as opposed to pressure or fear?
1: Well, I, I started dancing when I was a year and a half, and I was performing on stage when I was three. So when you hit the stage and the music starts, there's no stop. It's like, oh, sorry, I missed a step. No, you can't, you gotta muddle through, fake it till you make it, you know, get through. And so you learn that mentality. And I think I was just so that was so ingrained in me mm. that I was able to learn how to utilize that energy of all of these people. Oh my God, they're looking at me. You know, and especially as a kid, you know, you're really self-conscious. And yeah. it's like, oh my God, everybody's watching. So then the elation is. In the performance and the success in the performance and then the applause at the end right so i mean that's tremendously rewarding wow and you were adopted early right when you were nine months old nine months old i spent my first nine months in foster care wow that's crazy yeah yeah what where do you think you'd be if you weren't adopted uh, what would your life
0: look like? Would you be a, a diver? <laughs> would you be a dancer? Would you be, you know, all these things you're doing, would you be?
1: I don't know. I'd probably be a surfer. <laughs> a surfer? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. mean, it, Do you ever think about that? Come. Like, well, I wonder. I connected with my biological father. So he's Samo and he's in Hawaii. Wow. And uh, I have a brother and two sisters, half siblings. It was interesting because when, uh, when I first met Fubali, it was after the '84 Olympic Games, and so I was a little twenty-four skeptical. at this time. I was twenty-four. Wow! And so then I met, I met Sherilyn and Gerilyn and Malcolm, and Malcolm was in, I think he was in weightlifting at the time, and then he went into body bodybuilding and then power, powerlifting. So he was quite the athlete, but. I was water. he was on, on land. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I always knew, because where I was adopted, home of the Guiding Hands, they said, uh, one of the nurses who had met my parents, I guess or she said she did, stated that my father wanted to raise me. Mm. And so that's, kind of, that's nice. Yeah. So I always knew that <clears throat> he wanted me. That also is goes back to the Samoan or Polynesian culture. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what families do. They don't, you know, they don't yeah. give up their children. It's it may be a relative or somebody. It stays in the family. Wow. Yeah. So, the grandmother. Uh, yeah. 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 Do you feel like you were driven to achieve
0: at such a high level because of your, because of being adopted, by any mm-hmm. Chance? Do you feel like that was a part of like a driving force? Like I'm gonna prove these people
1: wrong or show them anything? Yeah, I I, I think that, I think it was a combination, whether it be, you know, adoption, my sexual identity. I mean, it was any number of things that were really contributing factors into that desperation of having to succeed. Wow. Early on in my diving career, you know, because I was being called sissy boy and, uh, you know, nigger and, because wow. of dark skin, my dark skin. Wow. And, yeah, it, it was really challenging growing up. there's not many young boys are doing dance in the theater yeah. and diving. Yeah, it's like, that's a sissy sport. Yeah, right, you know? right. So, Especially um, back in the 60s, 70s, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, when I was getting, my, getting beat up at the bus stop and my father drives by and getting my face, you know, just, you know pushed into the asphalt, um, I felt like my father felt the same way that these other kids did. Your
0: biological father or your, your no, the,
1: adopted father? My adopted father. You father felt like who, he felt the same way. that Yeah, that I was worth, worthless. Really? That I was a sissy boy and all that. Because I, I didn't know that he was ever, he never got involved with my dance, acrobatics, gymnastics. So you want to come watch or support? Yeah. Not that I knew of. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I took care of him the last six weeks of his life, he died of cancer. He shared with me that when I was performing then he would sneak out of work and come and watch. Wow. Oh my god. But I never knew. He never told me or he never shared that with me until, you know, he's about ready to die. Wow. So
0: what was the greatest lessons you learned from your your parents, your adopted parents?
1: I think the greatest lesson that I learned from my mom, because she was my champion. You know, when you're that young, you don't have mentors You know, really, you have champions, and she was my champion. And she taught me about unconditional love, and not just. And it just, it wasn't just words. She she embodied she, she it. She embodied it. She was that's who she was. To me. Wow. And I asked her some questions about, you know, some of the challenges that I had with uh, a sister that I was raised with, and she said, "Well." You know, that's your sister, that's, you know, she is who she is, and I love her, you know, unconditionally. It's like, oh, okay, so, I I mean, it really kind of solidified that it is possible, that unconditional love is possible. Wow, doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that someone does, or
0: be excited about certain decisions or choices they make, but you can
1: still love them. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, the unconditional love yeah. from your mom. Yeah, unconditional love from my mom. And your dad? My dad, he was more of a skeptic. So it was, you know, be cautious, look before you leap, kind of, kind of thing. <laughs> Wished I had learned that lesson a little bit <laughs> better, because yeah. I kind of like jump into things, yeah. and then it's like, okay, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah. What were the
0: qualities that they? embodied that inspire you to be so driven? Mm. Towards all of your activities, not just diving, but do you feel like it? they guided you to being a champion, or were there other outside factors,
1: or internal factors that? I think initially there were a lot of internal factors, and that was, you know, proving myself. Mm. Like I said, when I first started on the world stage in diving, mm-hmm. that came from my success came from a very desperate place in order for me to be loved or worthy of being loved i had to win mm-hmm. and i know the same and, feeling, and, I, yeah. and i was trying to gain the respect and love from my dad really yeah you didn't feel love from him growing up um i felt like it was conditional
0: unless Definitely. you succeeded then yeah. he was
1: proud of you yeah then maybe he might be proud of me and how
0: I, but you felt that way I felt that way, not from my parents, but from like everyone else around me. Like I, ha- I didn't have friends growing up. Yeah, I was the youngest of four, and I was just picked on and bullied a lot. I was like this tall when I was 10 years old. I was like this gangly, goofy yeah. kid, and I couldn't read and write until I got into like late high school you have a learning difference yeah dyslexia Dyslexia. And now that it's yeah. you know so f- yeah. I didn't know what it was then yeah. I just remember being like why can't I read this and I just reading over and over and being like I don't even remember what this paragraph says right yeah and horrible and test-taking and just memorization everything about yeah. school was a disaster until three o'clock when sports came around yeah and that's where I channeled all my energy yeah it's like something I could finally understand. just a right. ball and putting it into like, a, you know, it's like right. something simple. Yeah. And learning how to just have vision. I just, I had great vision. I knew where to be. Yeah. But I didn't know how to read and write. Yeah. And so I, I and I just got made fun of a lot. Yeah. For being in like special needs classes. So.
1: You know, it's interesting because there are so many incredible athletes. Bruce, now Caitlin, Jenner. Mm-hmm. She has a learning difference. Right. Jackie Joyner, Kersey. You know, there's some incredible athletes that have really made their mark on the world stage. And talking with a lot of them growing up, we didn't feel, and you may have felt this way too, that you didn't have your academics, but you could show people. Something, That you by could worth. do yeah. something. Absolutely. That you had value. Absolutely. Um,
0: and that's why I had to win at all costs too. Yeah. I was a horrible loser. Yeah. When I lose, when I lost, I would just be
1: miserable be around for yeah. days
0: yeah. until the next competition.
1: Yeah, because you're I don't know, uh, I'm sure it was the same way that I felt too is that my training, my competition uh was A reflection of my self-esteem. Yeah, your self-worth. So, yeah. So when I was successful, then yay, I'm on top of the world. Yeah. You know, when I'm not successful, I'm worthless. I, I think
0: that's a challenge because we're so conditioned to acknowledge the people who are succeeding in business or their career or having successful relationships or sports, and we put so much of our self-worth into our self-accomplishments right. as opposed to the progress we make or the generosity we have or the right. kindness in our heart right. or the positivity we bring.
1: Yeah,
0: And it's just so hard because everything... Has that
1: evolved for you? I think it has.
0: Yeah, for me it has. Over the last six years, I've gone on a, a, a much deeper journey where yeah. I achieved everything for the first... 30 years of my life, all my dreams I went after, I was yeah. achieving, I was a professional football player, I made millions of dollars, I had, you know, beautiful girlfriends, like all the things you're supposed to have as yeah. a like a, a straight man, right? It was yeah. like, that makes you successful. I was achieving, yeah. but feeling so miserable and suffering inside, yeah. and I didn't understand why until about six years ago, I started to go on a journey and heal everything from my past.
1: Yeah.
0: Talked about sexual abuse I went through when I was five from a man that I didn't know. Talked about when my brother was in prison for years and all the, you know, there's the struggles in school, my parents getting divorced. For me, there's a lot of people who've gone through a lot worse. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But for me, it was a lot to deal with at the time. And I never addressed it because as a straight white man in sports growing up, you weren't allowed to express it without being called. Not given permission. Not given permission. Yeah. There was no. Groups to talk to about you couldn't. If I tried to open up to guy friends, they would just be like, "Get off me, yeah, wussy girl, whatever, you know, any any name." Yeah,
1: and that's just a challenge. It's just hard to, yeah, feel like you can express yourself. Do you find yourself kind of going back and forth sometimes over that that um, embracing, embracing of like all the parts of yourself? Yeah, I go back and forth, but I'm, I only go back
0: for moments, yeah. and then I, I'm just so, quick, for so quick to aware, that's be right. aware and be like, okay, yeah, I'm living in fear, I'm living in anxiety, I'm living in the past, I'm living in hurt, Yeah, like, what can I be grateful for in this moment? And that's why gratitude is a huge part of my life, because when I'm in gratitude, it just fills my heart with more love than fear and pain.
1: Where did you get that lesson?
0: I think a lot of suffering, where a lot of like breakdown where I finally was like, I've been doing this podcast for six years, I've been interviewing some of the world's greatest spiritual leaders, I've done meditation retreats and just tons of emotional intelligence workshops and I think through taking action on diving through the pain and the emotions and communicating, the realizations have been coming up. Yeah. And uh, I've been practicing over the last six years. So I learned about these things six years ago. Right. Practicing it daily is something that's challenging to do because I can go back into a a bad place. Do you schedule that in your every morning? I yeah, every morning I have a routine. Yeah, night. Yeah, you know, my voicemail. When someone calls me, my first thing is, if you want to leave a message, you have to tell me what you're grateful for first.
1: Yeah. So
0: so throughout the day, I'm always expressing gratitude. I journal about what I'm grateful for at night. You know talking about they're constant reminders in my life and I think it's challenging because as an athlete I think you could understand and appreciate this we're so used to like going after the next big competition or the next big event what's the thing that we can chase after and win and when there's no big competition it's like how do we value our self-worth how do we identify with that so I've learned to more focus on like what I can control my health like did I show up today and take care of my health Did I do a tough workout? Did I eat well? Was I kind to people today? Mm -hmm. Did I do something in my mission, which is part of this show, did I interview someone and really tap into their heart and spread that message to help people? What are the things on a daily basis that I can control? The Olympics, you know, I haven't made the Olympics. I'm on the USA team for the last seven and a half, eight years now. We haven't qualified since 96, since it was in Atlanta. So it's like, okay, Am I worthy even though I haven't qualified for the Olympics? Yeah. It's just like constantly being a reminder of like, every day I have an opportunity to grow. And if, as long as I focus on growth, then I, I feel good within my heart. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I focus on, so it's not easy.
1: No, it's
0: not. It's not easy. Yeah. And even someone like you, I bet it's really challenging because there's so many guys in the NFL that I know who are living in the glory days of their past. It's like I used to be this great athlete. I used to get all the recognition. And I can only imagine. I almost like I have some Olympic friends that I feel somewhat bad for.
1: Yeah,
0: They had all this fame when they were 18, 20, 22, the world stage, and then they don't know what their identity is anymore. And I can only imagine that is worse than like, I don't know, not making it all. Right and like constantly progressing. It's like you had the top, and now who are you? Right. Have you ever faced that or felt that? Like
1: oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, I think it's one of those things because it is such a high high. Huge, right? You know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a really high high. Everyone in the world Mm -hmm. is watching you. Yeah, and so it's like I, I think it's something that. That's why I ask, you know, if you go back and forth with that, because it's hard to, like, Mm -hmm. stay on point point, stay in that positive. Because we always have challenges, and Mm -hmm. they can come from God knows where, you know, at, at very different times. But most definitely after I retired from diving, actually had two, I announced two retirements. I was supposed to retire after the 84 Olympic Games. Wow. I was totally dead set. I... Got my two gold medals, Olympic gold medals. I won the nationals right after that, so it was a record number of national titles, any from any other diver. And then uh, I was going to retire. So, but the thing was, in eighty four. I was pushing, I was one of the athlete representatives that was pushing to have trust funds put into place for the mm. younger divers mm. so that they could continue diving after college wow. and have the financial means to be able to do because that. Because they're making no money. Because yeah. they're making no money. Nothing. So I went to the president at that time of USA Diving and I said, look, you know, I was a part of the athlete reps to have trust funds put into place. What's going on? and his response to me was well you're the only one that it affects and you're retiring so we don't have to hmm. put the money into getting wow. the trust funds put into place i said fine i'm not retiring do your homework wow and so it was my intent to stay eligible until the time that trust funds were put into place for the younger divers wow, that's because cool. at least i will have done something for the younger divers coming behind me yeah the legacy yeah, yeah. and so wow as it turned out, it took two years to get done. Trust funds were put into place, and I found myself at the World Championships. I was successful. I won the World Championships in three-meter springboard, 10-meter platform. And my coach turns to me and says, well, it's two more years. Can you stick that, it out? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, It's like, uh, okay, two yeah. more years. I can wrap my head around two more years. And so I hung in there for another two years. and But... Never did I, in my wildest dreams, would I realize what that meant. What did it mean? Six months prior to the Olympic Games, I was diagnosed HIV positive. Right. And so... It was extremely controversial at that time, right? It was a very... Oh, no, you didn't say a word about it. Um, I mean, being gay at that
0: time was like, you didn't talk about that, right? I mean, it's just like, that was looked down upon and all these things, right? socially well, yeah. not acceptable.
1: Or- because it was interesting because I was out to my friends and family um, you know. once I went to college. Right. And so, but then after the 84 Olympic Games and I signed on with the William Morris Agency, they, they was like, well, Craig, tone down the gay thing. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So it was my policy not to discuss my personal life with members mm-hmm. of the media. I mean, there was plenty to read between the lines. You could figure it sure, out sure. if you read enough articles. Sure, sure. And I really didn't cares because the people who i cared about knew but hiv oh my god i mean my thought was when i had my test sent out and we did it under an assumed name um and my thought was before i got the test results back was i was dead set that if i was hiv positive then i was gonna pack my bags because i was training in florida at the time pack my bags go back to california lock myself in my house, and wait to die. No way. Because that's what we thought of HIV at that time. It was a death sentence. I mean, people weren't lasting more than a couple years after their diagnosis. I mean, we had friends dying right and left. So that was my thought. But my cousin, who was my doctor in Florida, he convinced me to to stay and train, that that would be the healthiest thing for me. And really, so you got really the test. Grateful. You
0: got the results back, and mm-hmm. he said, "Stay and train."
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. That he said that he wanted to treat me aggressively, and he'd take care of the medical stuff, and Ron O'Brien would take care of the, you know, the diving stuff, and and also it was, it was easier for me to focus on something like diving because it was a lot more positive. Yeah, I'm really grateful. For that, because at least I had the diving that I wasn't focused on. Oh my God, I'm dying. HIV. Yeah, I'm yeah. dying. Yeah. So wow. I had something positive to focus on. So I think that that really enabled me to learn some coping skills surrounding that my HIV status and all definitely was the healthiest thing for me. How did you stay focused when
0: you thought like I'm going to die in mm-hmm. two years? Does any of this even matter? training the olympics how did you stay positive and focused when
1: seemingly the worst thing that could happen happened when you're in that zone flow whatever you want to call it i i I like to refer to it slipping into that space between air and time Mm -hmm. you know that nothing else nothing else exists it's just that moment in time so And it could be joyful because it was something that was familiar and it was, I'd experienced this before. Mm. And so it was very inviting. That's like with the visualization work and uh, imagery work that I I do as well. That, I mean, I love to play in my imagination. And in my imagination, these other things don't exist. Mm. So the only thing that exists is exists is right here now in that moment how did you handle the
0: emotions of your heart of like seeing I don't know whether you got the phone call or the, you open the letter and it says HIV positive how oh. did, what did your heart do I mean did you feel like I, exploding was yeah, it like yeah. and how do you cope or process that to not just go down this destructive path
1: I think it's almost impossible not to go there you know, that, uh, that destructive path. path. So you did go there for a while. Yeah, for for a little bit. Yeah, <sighs> for a bit. But fortunately, my cousin came over to my where I was living. Was your doctor too? Is he it? Was, yeah. it was my doctor. Yeah. And um, he delivered the news. And then at least I had somebody to talk to. And so we talked and talked and talked. And it's like, okay, you know, well, I had this certain idea in my head. And he shattered that. And what did he so, say? There's certain drugs you can live with. There's. Well, the only drug that we had at that time was AZT, and you had to qualify for it. And so my T cell count, I think, was 214, and you had to be under 200 T cells to qualify for it. But I think the next test that I did, I, it was under 200. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I qualified. That's good. But I met with Anthony Fauci at um, the CDC, he was great very supportive. I had a very small group of people who knew about my HIV status because we were learning. You know, We were learning new. as we, we were going. Yeah. So any of the medications that I was being prescribed, we had to make sure that my doctor, my cousin, he would call the Olympic Training Center to make sure that none of the, the medications were on the banned substance list. Obviously, AZT. They're looking for performance-enhancing drugs, and AZT is not yeah. a performance-enhancing drug. Quite the opposite. It's hurting you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's quite toxic. Wow. And so, um, yeah. So it was, it was interesting.
0: Wow. Who was the most influential person within the year after you learned about having HIV in your life that supported you? That like you couldn't have mm. got through without this person.
1: I'd probably have to say that there were. Three individuals. I didn't want to tell my parents. Mm. So they didn't know until years later. Wow, really? Yeah. Wow. Because I didn't want to I didn't want to worry my mom. I figured if I were to get sick, then then I could tell her. So she wouldn't have to stress over it. But the the three people who were really key in my My ability to stay positive was my coach, Ron O'Brien, dear friend of mine, Debbie Sean. She's an attorney, but she's she was like my big sister. Yeah, she's Dr. Sammy Lee's niece, and then Kathy Sean, her sister, Mm -hmm. who was a doctor, so a lawyer and a doctor. (laughs) I'm (laughs) covered, right? Right, right. right. But um, but they actually took me into their home when I was going through some. Tough times, trying to leave an abusive relationship. Right, yeah. And right so that, yeah. they were, uh, they were there for me and opened their doors to me and kind of yeah. got me on my feet. And was it this? Let me know if I'm
0: not supposed to talk about these things. But was this was this relationship this abusive relationship how you got
1: the AIDS HIV? You know what? A lot of people want. I mean, even my dad when he was alive, you know, he wanted to blame Jim, but. Honestly, I believe that I was probably um, infected prior to Jim. Right. gotcha. I think we both came into the relationship positive. Wow. I don't know, because I wasn't tested at that time. Right, right, right. But my previous partner before Jim, he passed of, uh, gotcha. complications with AIDS. Gotcha. And so, um, you know, my suspicions, I think that a lot of us that were exposed were exposed before we obviously yeah. we, before we knew about safe sex or wow. anything like that sure. and I remember doing an interview with Larry King he's like how does a smart guy like you get HIV he was like oh I don't understand the question <laughs> you know because I, I didn't because we knew about safe sex after mm-hmm. you know and, after um, having it. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. I mean, I, I thought I was I was in, uh, I'm a serial monogamist. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, so I like, if when I'm with somebody, I'm, that's with it. Yeah. yeah. And so um, wow. I figured I was probably safe. It is what it is. Yeah. Life happens. That's crazy. Yeah. So can you educate
0: me on AIDS right now, HIV? Because everyone was dying, I guess, within a couple of years. But mm-hmm. now there's certain drugs and medication you can yeah. take to, to extend
1: life. Very long or what's generally yeah can even if you seroconvert you can look forward to pretty normal life expectancy. Really? People are you know, dying of old age, you know, right, heart disease right, right. and arthritis and you know, I mean they're having issues with that come with old Other age. Other challenges. Yeah. But they're you're having a long life. Yeah, yeah. I mean they uh they Found how to attack the virus in various ways. Um, Without attacking the rest of your body? uh, There's still some... It, I mean, the, it's really hard. On, the medications are hard on your liver. Really. So I do acupuncture and Chinese herbs to support for liver support and wow. immune systems. But you look great. You look young. You look vibrant. <laughs> oh my god. You look healthy. Can you believe I'm almost sixty? Crazy. You look amazing. Oh my god. I hope I next look this, year I'm going to be sixty.
0: I hope I look this healthy at sixty. <laughs> you look fit. You're joyful. You're full of love. I feel like. So you've been living with this for thirty years. Is that right? yeah 30 plus years and so you have to take a medication daily is that the essentially yeah
1: the drug regimen that I'm on now is uh in the morning and the evening so I've got Got my HIV meds I have let's see three three meds in the morning three meds in the evening um but I do a lot of uh supplements uh Chinese herbs and like that helps a lot too yeah. yeah, I mean, it's more of a holistic approach. Yeah. Uh, and also, like I said, a lot of the uh, medications that they're metabolized in the liver, so it's really hard on the liver, so you wow. need that liver support. And yeah. So my... Actually, I learn more from my Chinese herbalist sure. and acupuncturist than I do my regular doctor. That's funny. You know, he's like up on, you know, where I'm at. He even called me the other yesterday to go over my labs. Oh, that's cool. So, What is the biggest um, challenge you feel like
0: you've faced your entire life? The biggest challenge I've ever faced in my my life? Your whole life. Would you say that was like one of the biggest challenges you've faced or was Mm -hmm. there something else you've been through?
1: The biggest challenge? That's a hard one because once you get through that door, it's no longer a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I was diagnosed with HIV, you would think, mm, that's. but once you go get through that door, yeah. then you realize everything's okay. Losing my father, taking care of him the last six weeks of his life, I mean, that that goodbye, that was a challenge because we had come so far because we didn't always have the best relationships. Mm -hmm. And then we made peace with each other in those last, uh, actually that last year. Because he was diagnosed with cancer and I came out to him about my HIV status. And so it became a crusade for life and quality of life. We had many conversations about that. Losing my mother, that was tremendous loss. How did that make you feel? It was, I think in some ways it's harder now than it was then. Really? Because when you're going through it, you're in the heat of it, then you're taking care of everybody else and not always taking care of yourself. I think it's, I mean, I still talk to her, write her letters yeah. um, you know, to this day, and she passed in 04. Wow. So um, she had a tremendous impact on me. Wow. So what's the thing you love about her the most? Um, her laugh mm. yeah. i think I think that's what I miss the most is her laugh you know because um you know she was genuine, she was real with me, and not afraid to i mean we had this connection it was really bizarre it was like you know when i was way at college it was like okay i gotta call mom and then i call mom and it's like oh and she's something was going on mm. and actually it was the um, she was on the verge of asking for a divorce so or actually my dad asked for the divorce and then she was she said okay I think, I think he was expecting her to, like, no, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, and she said, okay. So that was kind of a turmoil for her. And I just sensed it. I was just like, you mm. know, it's like I called her. I said, well, I knew that there was some reason why I called. So, um, wow. yeah, we just had that, that kind of psychic connection. It was amazing. Wow. Of
0: all the accomplishments you've had, mm-hmm. from sports to uh, activism to theater and movies, and other things you've done, what's the thing you're most proud
1: of? I think the thing that I'm probably most proud of, I mean, there. I mean, there's so many things. I mean, um, I reached out to Ryan White uh, when the People Magazine article came out about this young boy with, who was a hemophiliac who contracted the <coughs> HIV virus back in 87, I think it was. Mm-hmm. He experienced a lot of hate. Because you know, any hate or anger or anything like that stems from fear, from a place of fear. So I reached out to him and his mom and invited, invited him to a national championships in, in oh. Indianapolis. And I felt like if people saw that I wasn't afraid of him, then you know, maybe they wouldn't be so oh. afraid. So, um, I mean, there's those types of things. Oh, probably, I've said this in the past, is my book breaking the surface Mm -hmm. because when I was on book tour, I had numerous people come to me and say, you saved my life. And whether it was about surrounding HIV or their sexual identity or an abusive relationship or, you know, whatever it was, or being bullied. Um, Because when I was, the book was being published my feeling before i went on book tour was i was sharing my weaknesses you know it's not very manly or masculine right. to admit that you were raped or that you were in an abusive relationship or that you were gay or right. that you have hiv or you know so i felt like i was or suffer from depression right so I felt like I was sharing my weaknesses, but when I was on book tour, I realized by sharing my weaknesses, I was actually sharing my strength because not everybody can do that. It's challenging. Yeah. And so, but I find that being able to let go of that stuff, that judgment and and all, and living your life, living your own truth. I mean, it's, it's a daily challenge, but it's you're you're more apt to to embody that truth um that you can uh move through life with integrity you know that you do what you say and say what you do Mm -hmm. and be true to it it's so hard for other for people to do that yeah but it's but the first person that you really like the first when you're coming out the first person you have to come out to is yourself Mm. you know the first person that you have to be honest with and brutally honest with is yourself so once you accept that truth then you can you don't have to apologize for anything you can just be yeah wow was it hard coming out to yourself Uh, yeah how old were you when you came to yourself first. Um, well, I mean, I think I knew that there was. I, I didn't put sexuality to it. I think I knew when I was really young, like six, um, five, six, seven, whatever. Five, yeah, probably. You know, I, I think I I knew that something was different. I didn't put sexuality to it. It wasn't until later, and then, you know, you're going through puberty yeah. and you know junior high and all the guys are talking about all these conquests and it's like, oh. You're like, didn't care at all. Yeah. Okay, is that? You know, and and then later on you find out they weren't doing anything. Right, right. And, and then I realized I was doing it. Yeah. It's like, I was doing everything that they were talking about. I thought that's what, what they were doing. It's sure, like, sure. Okay. So it's weird. Yeah, also giving up the you know, the idea of needing validation. Mm. For what? Validation. For yeah. Yeah, that you're good enough. It was funny, because like I was doing a um, dive camp in Arizona, and I had a bunch of little kids, and you know, I told them, you know, be, do something kind for Mother Earth, anybody. You know, but and not look for any recognition. Mm-hmm. You know, do it. Don't tell anybody. You know, just do it for your own inner peace and validation to yourself. And so, um, I said, even if it's picking up a piece of trash, or complimenting somebody, or uh, you know, being supportive, just being there, an ear you know, listen, right. you don't, you don't have to speak. And so, you know, we were at a lunch break. We was just finishing up our lunch break and, you know, I'm going around and I'm picking up trash. And One of the mothers of one of the kids said, oh my God, you really do do that stuff, don't you? And I was like, yeah. I mean, that's what, why wouldn't I be? Mm-hmm. I mean, because ultimately we have to be examples. I mean, I learned by example I mean i'm I'm also sober, yeah. so I've been sober what 12, 13 <clears throat> years, coming up to 13 years. My sponsor is I never told him he was my sponsor mm. for years, because I learned by example, yeah. And what he would say in his classes and share, and his journey, flaws and all, that's where I learned. You know that he lives it. Yeah. And that's what I want to do too. Yeah, be the example.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. When you're teaching about visualization with uh-huh. these at these dive yeah. camps or any other athletes you're training one on one. How do you translate what you learned and experienced visually with imagery because I believe mm-hmm. in visualization I did it for yeah. many years How do you translate
1: teaching that emotion that feeling to get into flow what do you tell people Well the first thing with visualization and I I learned through trial, trial yeah. and error because I learned visualization when I was 3 wow you know and that was I'm sure by accident <laughs> my dance instructor said okay visualize yourself you know no no she didn't say visualize she said okay um imagine yourself doing the routine and she played the music left the room I was only 3 years old so <laughs> I was like okay you know that's how I interpreted it and so that's how I learned visualization and then later on I I learned relaxation exercises when I was going through puberty mm-hmm. it was like you know um, I was suffering from anxiety and stress-related stuff. Uh, I also had asthma. What I learned in teaching visualization to dog agility people, ballroom dancers, uh, water polo players, divers, I had to start with relaxation. I had to teach them the relaxation exercises. Breathe, take, relax. Yeah, yeah, take them through the relaxation exercises. Then they would be have... A better opportunity for success in their visual mm-hmm. visualization work the one thing when i start somebody with visualization work is that i start with something totally away from whatever activity that they're wanting to visualize mm. so like what well i have several i have several kind of fun exercises i think let's see there's a roller coaster ride there's a horse riding a horse those two because okay it's it's a wild exciting wild it's yeah. roller coaster ride and i try and get them to use all of their senses what are they feeling what are they smelling what are they hearing, hearing? Yeah. Are they, you know what do they taste you know because when that adrenaline starts amping up then you know you get dry mouth mm, cotton yeah mouthy. yeah And um, so those, the horse ride and the the roller coaster really taps into the adrenaline. Mm -hmm. Um, The one that I really enjoy, especially with kids, is I tell them, okay, you're going to bake some cookies. And it's like, okay, pick somebody that you want to bake cookies with, Mm. whether it's your mom, your best friend, your aunt, your uncle, whomever. Pick whoever it is. So there's an emotional connection to that person and then I go through the measuring of the um, of the sugar and the flour and the texture of the butter and the smell of the um, extract, you know, whether it be vanilla mm. or almond or whatever it is. So they go through all of their senses, the sense of smell, taste and all of that stuff. And I try and encourage them to use all of their senses mm. because you never know what's gonna come out to the forefront yeah. as far as their strength, uh, and so you know and that's that's how I teach visualization, that it's totally removed from what the activity is, because that's important. Because if it goes wrong in the activity that they're wanting to, to do, wrong in it's real gonna, life. yeah, then it then it <clears throat> has a tendency of going wrong in real, real life. So you have them practice something other activity first.
0: Mm-hmm. You have them relax, breathe go through another activity of visualization then
1: you take them to the dive or to the sport after that necessarily no i mean i i I let them hang out there Mm. and then it's it's almost like you know you they're muscles you know that you're flexing and you using to utilize so the more that you flex those muscles and the more fun that you can have in doing it the more likely you are to practice and and do it yeah. so then you play along play along play along it's like oh me you know let's try this you know they they come to the conclusion on their own usually that okay i'm ready for this and then their visualization kind of steps right into place that's powerful yeah
0: I've never heard someone talk about visualizing another activity first yeah. to heighten oh, your senses, yeah. Yeah. and then step Definitely. into yours when you're ready. Yeah, so I like that. Yeah. That's a great. one. Yeah. I'm gonna start yeah. doing that. Yeah. Even when you were talking about making the cookies, I was visualizing, <laughs> visualizing pour like measuring the sugar okay, and the kind flour. They were chocolate chip. Chocolate chip they were okay. chocolate chip for okay. me. I mean, that's what you, I was.
1: Chocolate chip or peanut butter? Snickerdoodle. I was.
0: I was smelling no, this, yeah. and then you said the vanilla extract or the almond and i was thinking of like the mixture of both the vanilla smell and the almond Mm. taste and i was like feeling it you just you barely even doing it i was just like processing it with my mom and seeing them rise in the oven and taking them out and biting this gooey and burning the top of my mouth
1: and "Ah," and waiting
0: you know all this stuff it's like yeah you can i could literally smell vanilla yeah when you said it it was like I could taste the sugar and the chocolate
1: melting in my mouth. Yeah. It's funny because, like, every time I've, I, I've done that with kids, especially, they love the cookies. It's like, oh my God, I got to go to the subway and get a cookie. I know, right? You know, it's like, so
0: soft, at subway. Yeah, oh my yeah. gosh. So, uh, I got a couple final questions for you. This one's called The, the Three Truths. So, I ask everyone this question at the end. So, I want you to imagine it's your last day many years from now on earth. Uh-huh. But you've got to pick the day eventually and you've got to leave, right? Yeah. Eventually it's, you know, it could be a hundred years from now. And you've accomplished everything you want to accomplish from mm-hmm. your whole life, from now until when that day happens, you've lived the life you want. And for whatever reason, you've got to, you've got to go. Mm-hmm. It's your time to go. And you've got to take all of your accomplishments, your medals, your books, your movies, they've all got to go with you, the things you've created. Mm-hmm. So no one has access to your content anymore. But you get to write down on a piece of paper and a pen the three things you know to be true about life. The three biggest lessons you've learned or what I like to say your three truths that you would share with the world. My three truths? Yeah, what would be your three truths?
1: Nothing really matters except now. Mm. Life is a game, play it. Mm. I have to say validation is redundant. What does that mean? You don't need to be validated. Mm. I mean, if you are true to yourself and authentic, you know, there's no apology. There's just who you are. It's yeah. just who you are. So it needs no, obviously, you know, because I'm very much about love. You know, it's got to come from a loving place. Yeah. You know, it's got to be embodied in love. When do you feel the most loved? Uh, when do I feel the most loved? Sometimes at events with kids when I do uh, some, you know, workshops and I've done some camps uh, there and definitely with my dogs. Yeah. My dog. dogs. just bring you so much joy. Yeah. To your life. They give you, un- that's true unconditional love. And they don't know anything else, so it's either unconditional love or fear, because in any of the um, any aggression or any, anything like that, it's it stems from fear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I also train dogs, yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's uh, very much aware and in tune with um, you know reading those signs yeah. of stress and fear, and so. I just want my dogs to be, feel loved and safe. How do you create that feeling for dogs or humans? Through games. Really? Yeah.
0: Games for dogs makes them feel safe? Yeah. What type of games? Playing fetch or Um, some
1: other? I mean, one thing that I'm going through right now is trying to, Build confidence in uh, um, in one of the dogs that I have, and so I'm teaching her tricks. So that's always fun.
0: When it's fun for it, me
1: and fun <clears throat> fun for her. When she
0: learns a new trick, she feels more confident. Yeah,
1: yeah, because it gets her mind thinking and not worrying. It's like, oh my god, you know, there's a boogeyman around the corner right. or something like that. So that's one thing that that I learned in competing in dog agility, is that I I would always. Teach my dog, you know, some really solid tricks that they can do at the start line. So it kind of gets them off focused of the dog agility and kind of uh, it's okay. You know, I I can do this trick. I can play around. It's all about fun.
0: Wow, it's kind of like visualization of another activity for a dog Mm -hmm. for the activity itself. Yeah, yeah. It's like roll over, play dead. Okay, now let's go do this competition. Yeah, Yeah. that's cool. Yeah. You're truly translating what you learned in sports with dogs. That's great.
1: Well, that was one of the things that I, you know, years ago when I first started with Ron O'Brien, that was one of the first things that I told him. I said, you know, I do better when I'm having fun, when I'm smiling and having fun. He said, you have permission to kick me in the ass if I'm not. And actually at the World Championships that year, 78, he did come up at my practice because the weather was miserable it was in Berlin it was rainy it was cloudy it was cold I'm a fair weather diver I Mm -hmm. love the sun uh, and it was just miserable and so I was just like having horrible workout after horrible workout and then um, he came up while I was under the shower you know in the shower trying to get warm and he kicked me in the ass and walks away, and I look, and it's like I see the back of his head. I was like, "Oh my God!" It's come to you know physical abuse. <laughs> you know? And and then at this facility they had an elevator, so I'm in the elevator going up to the ten meter, and it's like, oh, duh. I told him he could kick me in the ass right, for right, I'm right, not right. having fun, and so I started laughing, and then I you know got my scowl face on, you know, I was like, looked down and said, "Okay, watch this," and I did my front three and a half, and I nailed it. Wow. <laughs> uh, he goes, well, that's more like it. And it's like, so it forced me to turn, turn a corner. Yeah. yeah. That's and cool. um, it, was, it was a great lesson. That's why
0: I think your truth about life is a game play it. I think if we're not playing in yeah. our daily lives, if yeah. we're not being playful, if we're not having fun, if we're not expressing joy, it's so much more serious. And as you know, as an athlete, you can't get into flow yeah. Yeah. without having
1: fun. Right without being relaxed, without being playful. yeah. Well, that was when I hit my head on the diving board. Everybody likes to bring this up. That's all they remember, me hitting my head on the diving board. But I did come back and win, so um, (laughs) I, I can't be the agony of defeat. Sure. But that was the one thing, if you look at the clip on the very next dive, I set the board, they announced the dive, you could hear an audible gasp from the audience from where I was standing. So it kind of told me that they were afraid for me.
0: Mm. And I was afraid for me, too. Before you went into the
1: Before I went to, after that, uh, the next dive after mm-hmm. my hitting my head. Because it was in the same direction. And so I took a deep breath and I pounded, patted my chest, you know, because like I felt like my heart was pounding outside my chest. And then the people around who saw that chuckled. They go, oh, my God, he's afraid, too. You know, we're afraid for him. And, and so I started laughing. I was like, oh, my God, you know, these people, they're in my corner. It's like, oh, you know. So if you're in, J.K. Rollins got this right in um, Prisoner of Azkaban, the um, Bogart. What's a Bogart? It's a shapeshifter that turns into your greatest fear. How do you transform a Bogart? The spell is ridiculous, you make it look really ridiculous. How do you banish a Bogart? You laugh at it. And that's, and the Bogart is fear.
0: Mm-hmm. I love this, this good stuff. One final question, but before I do, you've got a movie you're working on? There's a movie that's coming out soon, can you talk yeah, about it? Yeah,
1: it's a biopic. Uh, we're working with a production company in, in uh, London. Okay. So um, yeah, we're trying to get that. We're, we're so close. Uh, yeah, to getting it. Is it already finished, or is no, it? No, okay. no, no. We're working it. on it right now. Yeah, yeah. We're we're
0: we're looking to get it made. Amazing. Uh, so you're looking to get that made right now. You know, what else do you have working on that that we can support with?
1: Luganus.com. You know, you can keep up with what I'm doing. I've got uh, your books are there. Everything. Yeah, there. books yeah. there, movies there. I'm also the uh, sports director for Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series, so we've that got a, cool. the season's going to be starting shortly, so l- really looking forward to that. Um, also looking to uh, through, not, I'm pretty sure it's going to be through my website, but an online coaching. Oh wow! Really? So yeah. Like a diving coaching, or like a mental no. training, or like a it, it's it's what I mental. Wow. Whether it's the relaxation, visualization, or, you know, to be able to achieve your goals. I wow. mean, it was so funny because, like, one of our divers, Cassidy Krug, I gave this breathing exercise when I when I did the TV show Splash. I gave that breathing exercise. And then she pipes in. I didn't think she was listening. She said, yeah, you gave that exercise to us. And he said that was the only way I was able to get through the finals at the Olympic Games in London. Wow. was using that that exercise. So, you know, yeah. You know, to be able to achieve what you don't believe in here that you can
0: achieve. Wow. Amazing. So that's all going to be at com, right? Yeah. The, the coaching and everything else. Yeah. Okay. I want to acknowledge you for a moment for your incredible joy that you bring to the world because you've been through so many different challenges. You've been through... What people would think are like some of the worst challenges to go through, things that they would hate to have happen to them, yeah. and you've gone through them with grace and peace and love. I'm assuming not all the time, but yeah. it looks like you've really processed everything that's gone through in your life in such a peaceful, loving way, and you've used the energy to be one of the best athletes ever. To you know, pursue your dreams. To Help humanity, And for me, that's so inspiring. And you're an amazing symbol of love and joy. And I want to acknowledge you for, for all the gifts that you have in the world. My final question for you is, what's your definition of greatness?
1: My definition of greatness? Yeah. Thinking, acting, and being beyond yourself. There you go. Greg, thank you so much. Does that make sense? It's a great definition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> You're
0: the man. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. There you have it, my friends. The Greatness community is taking the world over. We have so many people who are listening to this episode and to these episodes every single week. Learning, growing together, connecting. There's a community online of people who are supporting one another. And I want you to get a part of this and subscribe to the podcast right now. If this is your first time here, welcome to the community. Welcome to the movement of people who are dedicated and committed to growth in their personal lives. That's what this is all about. How can we find more fulfillment, more meaning, more purpose in our life with everything we do, with our health, our relationships, our career, our business, and our purpose in life? That's what we're all about. This is episode number 767 with Greg Lucanus. Make sure to share this with your friends. You can just send them the link, lewishouse.com slash 767. Text it to a friend. Message them on social media. Let them know you're thinking about them and you think this might support their journey in life or inspire them in some way. To bring it back to the beginning, Christopher Reeve said, A hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. And John Quincy Adams said, patience and perseverance have a magical effect before which difficulties disappear and obstacles vanish. You are a hero. You are someone who can overcome ordinary challenges every single day to create extraordinary results. It's all about the consistency of showing up. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to continue to show up each and every day and try to be a little bit better than the day before you are loved you matter and your dreams matter and i hope you enjoyed this episode and as always thank you so much for being here and you know what time it is it's time to go out there and do something great